Millennium Home is a space where we can all engage about self-love, self-worth, relationships, trauma and healing. I hope that you enjoy your stay and I am your host, Tando. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Honey I'm Home and today's topic is how to heal your inner wound and how your wounded inner child could relate to emotional unavailability. Today I'm joined by Sarah and I will just give her the platform to now introduce herself. Thank you so much Sarah for joining me. How are you? Hi Tandem, well thanks and yourself? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on my podcast with me. Yes, I really enjoy listening to your podcast. It's such a place of flesh. It's raw, it's refreshing. It's really become one of my favorites. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Okay, so can you please do just a brief introduction about who you are, what you do, and then we will continue from there. I'm majoring in counseling and psychology, and I really just have such a huge passion for people you know, contributing to their welfare. And right now, I'm just journeying through life. Um, I had to take a step back and regroup. Um, so at this current point in time, I'm starting, hopefully starting off a new project. I'm planning for that. Um, it just aims to improve the welfare and mental well-being of women in our South African communities. So I'm super excited for that to start taking off. So um, hopefully in the next few months, um, I'll be able to introduce it. Yeah, that's very exciting. And it's, it's beautiful that you have chosen to go into that space because we need more people that are uplifting women, people that are focusing on just empowering women. And I wish you well. Definitely. I definitely Thank will you. keep a look out for that. Um, So with today's topic, we're talking about how to heal your inner child wound. And the general idea is that we all have a childlike aspect and those are within our unconscious mind. So in a way that is our super personality and the inner child can reflect a child we once were. So both negative or positive and this side of our character might take over when we're faced with challenges. So that Mm -hmm. is the foundation of our topic today. And growing up, it is the emotional and biological responsibility of our parents to take care of us and to create a safe environment. Sometimes our parents fall short on that responsibility. And so my first point of discussion, I want to ask you what happens when children don't feel safe in environments that they grow up in? So basically, when we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we see that safety is the second most important need. Yeah. So your early childhood years are of your most impactful and important years. And being able to bond with and form secure and healthy attachments to your primary caregiver or secondary caregiver is crucial for emotional safety and healthy development throughout life. Yeah. So children want to be validated, they want to feel heard, they want to feel accepted, and they want to feel understood. And that's why creating an environment for them where they feel safe is important. And when this doesn't happen, especially during early childhood, children can form insecure attachments to their primary caregivers, which in turn ends up affecting their relationships later on in life. It could also result in distrust of others, especially when you are in relationships. Yeah. 
So not cultivating a safe and stable environment um, could also lead to anxiety or a sense of helplessness, if you will. Um, not only that, but behavioral issues, and in some cases, it could end up affecting them cognitively and developmentally. And it's important to understand, I think, that um, creating a safe environment for children extends beyond the physical. And there are so many different domains of safety that need to be met in order for children to experience the actual feeling of safety. Mm. You know, being safe doesn't always mean that you feel safe. Yeah. And um, it's also important to remember that children thrive in stable and nurturing environments. So within the context of supportive relationships with um, their caregivers who act as a sort of buffer against any negative effects of instability, Children learn how to cope with adversity and adapt to their surroundings. They learn to regulate their emotions, which is important. So unbuffered stress um, caused from chaotic environments or unsafe environments escalates to extreme levels in worst case scenarios that can be detrimental to children's mental health and cognitive functioning in the long term. Um, And the ways that we kind of see that children are made to feel unsafe includes shaming them, making them feel guilty, punishing Mm. them in inappropriate or harmful ways, withholding emotion or affection from them, exposing them to unsafe environments or individuals. Um, I think an important one is not creating safe or kind of any boundaries for them. Yeah. Especially early on in childhood. Also disciplining the emotions instead of their behavior and dismissing them as well as the needs that they are faced with at that certain point in time. So we also need to understand that before emotional safety can develop, attachment needs to develop. And so children won't feel emotionally safe when they feel unattached to you. So that's why we say that attachment stage that happens um, during your first few months of life um, up to about age three is genuinely um, the most important and most critical stage of your life because this is when a baby's sense of attachment starts to kind of intensify. Yeah. And depending on how well the um, primary caregiver responds to their needs, they can either develop a secure attachment, which is the gold standard, and this is what we strive for, or they can develop um, one of three insecure attachments, which is either an avoidant attachment, um, whereby they display avoidance in their relationships with people later on in life, a resistant attachment, whereby they display avoidance and resistance, or a disorganized attachment, which we often see when children have been subject to neglect or abuse, or even inconsistent parenting. So in their relationships, they kind of disorientated or confused about feelings. Um, there are often conflicting feelings, which later on leads to disorganized and conflicting behaviors. So with that, I assume that most of the responsibility then lies in the parents trying to understand their children because children are different. And so even if you have a group of kids, if you have four kids, all of them have different needs emotionally. And 
the developmental stages of being a child are very key in how they grow up and in how they become adults, teenagers, or how they relate to other people. How might how they were raised affect them later with their relationships and how they are, you know, now becoming emotionally unavailable and we become untrusting, which means we can't cultivate relationships that are healthy for us because we look for our parents, basically. So in air quotes, we look for that behavior that our parents were directing towards us and we look for that in other people. And so instead of us cultivating healthy relationships, we cultivate relationships with people who mm-hmm. harm us, people who shame us, people who punish us, who do not give us affection because that feels like home. Mm-hmm. So how can that lead to us being emotionally unavailable? And how can we be there for those people who are emotionally unavailable? These children can um, often repress their emotions or emotionally shut down completely. And on the other hand, children who grow up in homes where expressing emotions is unacceptable or viewed as a sign of weakness can equally disconnect from or repress natural emotions. So childhood neglect, trauma or abuse can all lead to emotional unavailability. Um, And what emotional unavailability actually refers to is the ability of two people to share a healthy emotional connection. Um, and yeah. thus, it means having the capacity to empathize with others as well as provide support, encouragement, and genuine caring about the experience from a selfless perspective. Emotional unavailability is the exact opposite. Yes. So, an individual who is emotionally unavailable will hardly recognize the confusion and the pain that they start to cause to people around them. Um, you know, they, they also often aren't capable of tuning into the subtleties around them or, you know, basically reading the room. So yeah. they also see their emotions as unnecessary or negative and they're internalizing to the point where they become unaware of their feelings and their emotional needs. And when this happens, it's almost impossible for them to understand others and empathize with what they are feeling. Um, since we say they are emotionally unavailable to those around them because they cannot identify and validate the feelings of others. And so when we look deeper into the emotionally unavailable person, they have almost always experienced feelings of toxic shame, feelings of not being good enough, feelings of inadequacy, or simply um, feelings of just being bad, you know, this bad person, this bad child. I like how you brought light to them acting out as victims all the time because what Mm -hmm. happens is they were always the victim and they will then grow up to think that they're always the victim even though Mm -hmm. they have some unlearning to do with regards to what they went through in their childhood and when exposed to the situation where they are in a relationship with someone who is trying to actually bring light to the fact that you need to work on your emotions then it feels as though they're being victimized when in essence Mm -hmm. someone is just trying to help them so how can we recognize that someone has a wounded inner child or how can we recognize our own behavioral traits that say that I have a wounded inner child so recognizing that you have a wounded inner child isn't always easy 
um, it takes a lot of um, awareness and a lot of, you know, inner self work, a lot of introspection. Yeah. Um, but some ways that we are able to recognize that we may have a wounded inner child or somebody that we know may have a, a wounded inner child um, includes having traits such as an intense fear of abandonment or trouble setting healthy boundaries. Um, mm. Your boundaries are either too weak or too rigid. Um, you may feel a sense of inappropriate guilt or shame. You are afraid of or have difficulty expressing your emotions and, you know, being open about the way you feel. Um, yeah. At times, you often struggle to trust people and even yourself, especially when it comes to relationships and being vulnerable and, you know, letting yourself break down those walls. Um, another trait um, that might help you recognize this is that you find you are a people pleaser. You're always wanting to please those around you um, in fear of disappointing them. Yeah. You also would avoid conflict at all costs. Um, you may be prone to addiction because you tend to kind of latch onto things, you know. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, you may have poor self-esteem or identity issues. Or anxiety when any change starts to occur because you are so used to what you know and you feel safe in what you know. So when change happens, it's almost like, you know, like fight or flight. Mm -hmm. The problem also with identifying that you have a wounded inner child is you have to do a lot of introspection. And introspection mm -hmm. is very uncomfortable for a lot of people because it requires you to be very honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. It's it's a lot easier to point out the wrongs in other people or to point out the faults in other people. But with us, it requires us to be very honest mm -hmm. and we don't tend to be very honest with ourselves in our day-to-day -day lives. And that's why it's so hard to recognize it. But it's also important because it allows you to then become better in terms of in expressing your emotions and holding the space for your emotions so with that how can I heal my inner wound and clear any traumatic experiences that I might have had in in um, my developmental stages that resulted to me being emotionally unavailable so if you feel like you may be someone um, who is emotionally unavailable or you have a wounded inner child or you might even know someone um, one of the ways to work on that and to start um, healing your in wounded inner child is through reparenting your inner child. Reparenting basically means um, kind of guiding your wounded inner child and looking at the emotional needs of that inner child and kind of seeing how you can meet those needs that you didn't receive in childhood from your parents or your caregivers. Yeah. And I think it's very important to keep in mind that only you can meet those needs. You can't expect or rely on other people to meet them for you. Yeah. So there are some steps to reparenting your inner child. And these steps begin with the most important step, I think, and that's becoming aware of and acknowledging your inner child. You won't be able to do the work or starting the work 
unless you take notice and say, you know what, I see you, I hear you, and I know that you need love and I know that you need care. Mm-hmm. So let's work on this. Um, the next step is accepting you in a child. A lot of the time when we become aware of parts of ourselves that we don't particularly like, we tend to try and exile them and kind of bury them deep within ourselves as to forget about them. Yeah. For us that need acceptance in order for them to develop healthy boundaries in relation to the self. So as not to overwhelm you, but not to cease to exist. And I say this because I... I'm of the view that every single part of us is important. Sometimes we just need to learn about them from a place of compassion in order to become, you know, a kind of better whole and in order to understand them. Yeah. Um, the next step would be listening to your inner child. Listen to what it's telling you it needs. And you can listen to your inner child by validating whatever it is feeling. The next step would be um, looking at the areas that you need to reparent yourself in. So there are four major areas, um, and these are discipline, self-care, joy, and emotional regulation. So discipline basically means healthy habit development and the promises that you make to yourself. Often, like, when we want to develop um, new healthy habits our mind has its own habit of putting up these walls and saying no but that's yes. where your promises to yourself comes in so setting one small intention each day and making that conscious choice to do it despite what your mind is telling you yeah self-care um, basically refers to you nurture yourself emotionally physically mentally spiritually how you care for your innermost parts, even on the days that you don't want to. So um, that needs, leads us to the next um, one, which is joy. A lot of us didn't have many experiences of joy in childhood, and we were kind of in a constant fight or flight mode. So taking time to do the things that you love um, and develop and cultivate interests and hobbies develop and maintain human connections those are all things that bring us joy and we need to kind of honor ourselves by doing things that bring a sense of joy into our lives Um, and the last one of the four major areas is emotional regulation so basically maintaining a baseline that helps us navigate the highs and the lows that are always going to be there lastly um Learn to experience your feelings without fear of judgment. So learn to have self-control without repression. Have that space Mm. inside of you where you can have a feeling or impulse without acting out on it um, in in potentially harmful ways. Michelle Obama speaks a lot about intentional joy. And I'm glad Mm. you brought that up because what she says is in as much as you set aside time for meditating or doing your skincare you need to set aside time to feel joy and be intentional Mm. about that joy and what that looks like could be you just going outside to sit in the sun just touch some grass if that makes you feel 
joyful, then do that. And I've started practicing that in my own life. And I find that it actually does impact how the rest of your day goes. And the other thing is with your emotions. When you hold the, a non-judgmental space for yourself to feel those emotions, you grow as a person. And because you will have days where you are sad or you will have days where you're angry, you need to experience those emotions. Our negative emotions are not meant to be looked at with the gaze of judgment. And mm-hmm. I always say to people, target those emotions, work on those emotions because they bring you closer to your inner ch- wonder child. Mm-hmm. If you, if one of your friends accomplished something and the first thing you think of is how jealous you are of what they, they, they have accomplished, work on that emotion because it's trying to bring you closer to that wounded inner child. But all of that being said, what is your take on meditation for deep inner healing because it has been shown that meditation influences how we heal from trauma is this possible um definitely and i think meditation is fairly underrated i think it's something that we should all incorporate into our lifestyles um it's basically mindfulness and mindfulness Mm. is the ability to be present and to be still in the here and now you know to be focused and engaged with what we are doing in that moment and it really gives you an opportunity to get comfortable with your mind and what's going on inside of you um Mm. and when we kind of train ourselves to be aware we are able to get a healthy sense of perspective so that we can show up as our best selves for ourselves um in terms of meditation and healing trauma I think it's definitely beneficial um, as you get to learn about and observe your thoughts and feelings without judgment you aren't trying to turn them off or bury them and besides the physical effects a lot of research has shown that meditation has the ability to um, physically alter our brains and rewire them towards positivity and I think that's it's so amazing It's also been shown that meditation is able to decrease the negative neurological connections to the me center of the brain. So when this happens, traits such as fear and stress and anxiety start to decrease. I think one of the major things is that meditation also builds new positive neurological connections to the parts of our brains that are responsible for promoting things like focus and healthy decision making. And meditation also kind of allows us to develop a new thinking relationship with our mind. Our thoughts contribute to a lot of our emotional experiences as well. So when we take that time to meditate, we learn how to separate ourselves from our thoughts. And we learn how to choose where we are going to place our focus and attention. In time, this will translate to conscious awareness, which is being present and observational of yourself. Um, And then lastly, uh, meditation is so beneficial because of the breath work. And I think we take for granted what breath work does for us. You know, it allows us to connect our mind to our body in a way that allows us to regulate the physiological responses that often come with these emotions. Also, depending on the extent of the emotional um, of the emotional trauma you have experienced or are experiencing, 
I think that meditation is definitely an option that could be explored and it definitely is beneficial in so many ways. Um, however, if the emotional trauma is quite extensive and severe and you would still like to use meditation as a method to healing, I would definitely recommend consulting with um, a mental health care professional or somebody who specializes in mindfulness-based or meditation-based practices and have them guide you yeah. or facilitate your sessions. I don't think it's safe to try and heal extensive trauma by yourself. The reason being is because during our journey towards healing, uh, especially in extreme cases, there's always a possibility of really strong or painful memories resurfacing. And when this happens, you, you need somebody who's able to contain you and who knows how to work with you from there and what measures to put in place so that you aren't harmed any further during your journey. Mm. If this happens and there isn't anybody who can contain you, you're just kind of spiraling over time or regressing emotionally um, and even cause, causing further psychological harm to yourself, which is the opposite of what we want. So my number one answer will always be to go to a mental health professional if you are within the means to do so. I know yeah. mental health isn't as easily accessible or as affordable as it should be, unfortunately, but there are mm -hmm. still free and affordable options and places. Um, there are helplines and some centers that offer guidance, support, or even just containment for whatever you need. And it won't always yes. be the best, but it will probably be your best and safest option at that point in time. Um, and what I will do is I'll compile a list of places that people can visit should they need any help. But I also do think Deepak Chopra is a really good spiritual teacher if you aren't necessarily okay. looking for any like professional mm -hmm. help, but you're just looking for something to add into your routine. Definitely. Then Deepak Chopra has really great videos and really great um, seven-day challenges where you can just meditate and journey into your healing. Mm -hmm. And everything that you have said, I think it just really summarizes everything that we have been talking about in that your inner child, it's going to take a lot of work for you to mm -hmm. be able to recognize it and also want to recognize it working on it. And I really appreciate you taking time off your schedule just to educate us because I also had some questions that you have not answered. And it's just so amazing to be able to learn from each other and to also impact other people. And if we can impact just one person, then our job is done. And so I appreciate you a lot and all the information that you have shared with us. Please, can you tell people how they can find you on social media if they do need to reach out to you or to ask you a question? Um, so my handle is um, at Sarah Elliot, Elliot with three L's. Um, that's the only social media I have at the moment, um, but hopefully one. So that's Instagram. Instagram, yes, on Instagram. Um, but hopefully yeah. once my uh, projects take off this year, then you'll be able to find me on Facebook and Twitter and so on. So that's it for this episode, guys. Please do leave me a review and a rating as it helps me to see what kind of content you guys are into. It's all love from me. Till next time, guys. Bye.